This episode is brought to you by ProMensal. But I I love talking to women at this age about the possibilities that open up. Because so often when we get to this stage, you know, whether it, you know, is is early 40s or early 50s, there's this liberation from being so bogged down in what other people think of us. Welcome back to another episode of Thriving in Menopause, brought to you by Prevention Magazine. I'm Andrea Deval, and I'm the editor of Prevention. You know, something we've been talking about throughout this series is confidence, because it's a known fact that women's self-confidence tends to fall off a cliff during menopause. So with me today to offer some practical advice is confidence coach Mel Schilling. Welcome, Mel. Hello, Andrea. Thanks so much for having me. Mel, some people may know you as the confidence coach on Married at First Sight, but you're also a former psychologist and you've just written a great book called The C Word, Confidence. Mm -hmm. In your time as a psychologist, you must have spoken to many women around this issue at perimenopause. It's so strange sitting here talking to you about this because it feels very meta because, yes, we're talking about, you know, what I've learned through my career and my research for this book, but I can also talk to you very much from a personal perspective. You know, I've just I've just turned 50 and I'm very much within this perimenopausal space myself, so it's a, an amazing personal learning curve as well as, you know, my professional interest. Um, absolutely. When we're looking at confidence and everything that comes with that, um, as you say, it, it can fall off a cliff when when you move into perimenopause. Um, I, I love the description of perimenopause as being like a second puberty um, because it is a major life change. Um, but when you look back to puberty and even look at, you know, our kids perhaps going through puberty now, there is so much information and awareness and support and normalisation out there around um, puberty not least, of course, because men go through it as well. <laughs> so therefore, aka, it is normal. Uh, but it's also just we are, we know so much more about what puberty does to the body and the hormones and our moods. And, you know, it's quite a, a normal thing to say about a teenager is, oh, they're going through puberty or they're a bit hormonal and to excuse, to show some empathy, some compassion and to understand what that teen might be going through. However, when it comes to a quote-unquote middle-aged woman, she just tends to be perceived as being a little bit crazy, being a little bit off. You know, they used to talk about she's going through the change (laughs) Which is so true. Such an odd word, but it's kind of you know it's it's an appropriate word. It is a change, but it's not the first change we go through. Particularly as women, you know, yes, you know, we we have puberty as the first one. Those of us who have transitioned um, into motherhood—that's another incredibly huge transition in our lives. And now perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause is the next big adventure. And I'd love to talk about it as a big adventure because I I do believe it can be. Okay. Well, let's start with one of the things that women tend to say on this podcast, and that is that they start to begin to feel invisible Mm. in the workplace, when they're walking down the street, men don't notice them, that, you know, there's there's a quantum shift in the way the world sees them. Yeah. Yeah. 
I guess what I would say to that, and, you know, this is very much coming from a place of empathy because, as I said, I'm in it as well. There's no judgment here. But what I would advise women to do here is to focus on the stuff that we can control, not the stuff that we can't. So, yes, there is a portion of what you're saying that I agree with, that the external cultural perception of a woman, let's say at the age of 50, is different from the way culture sees a woman at the age of 30. But there's also a component there about self-talk and about that actual woman as she's walking down the street, what is she saying to herself? Is she being kind to herself? Is she saying to herself, oh, that guy didn't even notice me, I'm invisible? Or is she walking past that guy and thinking, oh, well, he's irrelevant? <laughs> you know, so there is there is a lot of power in self-talk and in mindset. And I think if, as women, we enter into this perimenopausal phase saying to ourselves, okay, I'm now becoming irrelevant, then absolutely we will. But if we can flip that script and say, well, this is a new phase. It's like puberty. I'm stepping into this new phase of my life. Different things are going to be happening in my body. Some of them I'll like, some of them I won't. I'm going to feel different. But what an adventure. That's a very, very good point you make. Having said that, when you talk about self-talk, we're seeing these changes in our body shape, our skin texture, yeah. and these take a toll on our confidence. Yeah. It's very hard to talk back to yourself feeling very empowered when you notice that these things are happening. Yeah, absolutely. And look, let's not keep our head in the clouds. And I'm not suggesting that for a moment. We can't ignore this stuff because it, it is really happening from an objective perspective. I think my best suggestion here is to have a menopause mob, <laughs> to do it in a group. <laughs> Find your mob. You know, there is nothing more satisfying than sitting down with a girlfriend of a similar age and having a laugh about the sweat that's currently dripping between your thighs <laughs> or the hairs that you can notice on each other's chin or, you know, talking about how you had to get up during the night last night and change the sheets because you were swimming across the bed, you know. I think if you can have some, some what we would call as psychologists, social facilitation of that process, you know, so it's not this isolated, anxiety-provoking, you know, overthinking mode, but it's this really collaborative, celebratory, you know, self-deprecating phase of your life. Because really, menopause can be bloody funny. <laughs> <laughs> very good point. Hmm. And I suppose too, you know, we're, we're very fortunate if we happen to have friends that we do have going through the same thing or feel confident to talk to them about that. If not, there are some fantastic online forums now that you can join, which are, as you say, so funny. Yes. Um, and there's a wonderful sense of celebration and camaraderie. Yes. I love this. And I love the idea of trying to bring humour into our relationships around the menopause topic too. And I've certainly been, you know, I'm experimenting with different ways of, I guess, educating my bloke <laughs> about menopause. And I know you have a previous episode all about this with Ginny Mansfield. So I would absolutely recommend people to have a listen to that. Um, something I, I'm try trying on for size at the moment is humour with, with, with hubby and just 
you know, bringing him into the um, I'm I'm laughing with myself and I want you to laugh with me as well, you know. So particularly around the night sweats, for example, you know, I, I do have a chuckle over that. So rather than it feeling overwhelming and embarrassing, I'll go, oh, hey, babe, I'll just swim across the, the bed to you, shall I? <laughs> Here I come, I'm swimming across. And the brain fog, you know, in my family – we have this joke. We, we, we call it a silly mummy moment. And I'll, I'll say to Maddie, my daughter, she's seven. I'll go, Oh no, Maddie, I've had another silly mummy moment. And at one time she actually, she was counting them throughout the day. She said, Mummy, I think that's number eight of silly mummy moments. You know, I've forgotten the keys. I've lost my phone. Whatever's going on with the brain fog. It's interesting. So thinking about what you're saying, so much of it comes to self-talk, doesn't it? Because one of the things that we have spoken about with Ginny also is the mood swings that are very much like puberty, um, that in the moment we can't control. But then there's that sense afterwards, oh, I'm such a terrible person. I'm so Mm. stupid and I'm horrible. And what can we do to like ourselves a bit more? Yeah, self-compassion is so important, particularly because so many women I speak to, you know, around that that issue of mood have these almost homicidal (laughs) feelings toward their partners, you know, that hormonal rage that, you know, there is – there is no one on the earth you want to hurt more than your partner. It's so irrational in the moment, but it is it just feels so incredibly real. And of course, there can be the remorse and and self-hatred that that comes after that. We'll be right back after this. Perimenopause can actually start in your 40s. Declining estrogen production during perimenopause brings on changes to menstrual cycles and often the onset of hot flushes, night sweats, mood swings and sexual problems. Promensal Peri is specifically designed for perimenopausal women and can help relieve these common menopausal symptoms. Promensal Peri is available at leading pharmacies across Australia and offers a cost-effective treatment at under $1 a day. When things start to change, try Promensal Perry. Always read the label and follow the directions for use. Okay, we're back. Um, journaling is a really smart tool for women at this point in our lives. I mean, I, th- I, I think it's a great tool, you know, when you're going through any kind of transition. But particularly at menopause because there are so many new feelings and renewed feelings as well. And, you know, a lot of people, I find a lot of women talk about starting to get back in touch with who they were as a teen. I think there's this strange kind of soulful connection between the menopausal woman and the teenage girl that she was. Um, I have no science behind that. That is just my sense. Um, And I know Alison, when she was on your podcast, she talked a bit about that strange phenomena of women getting back in touch with the hobbies and the things that brought them joy as a girl at this stage. And I've got to say, both my sister and I are doing that. She's she's recently bought a horse. She was a horse kid as a teenager. And I was a dancer and I've just recently returned to dancing. So these have become, you know, really positive ways to um, find joy and to build up some of that self-compassion. But back to the journaling, you know, I think if you are having some of those dark thoughts or those, you know, self-loathing thoughts, it can be really constructive to capture them, to write them down, not to judge them in the first instance. You know, if you can spend even a couple of weeks just every night 
sitting down before you go to sleep and just writing down some of those harsh thoughts that you're having toward yourself and then go back over it after a couple of weeks of recording them, you know, with your highlighter and just look for themes because so often, you know, the way our unconscious works often is by presenting overall themes to us through different types of messaging. And, you know, you might find that it's about your body or it's about your libido or, you know, it's about um, your perceived credibility at work. You know, you'll find there will be themes that will come out and then that's what you can start to address because quite often the, the actual words that you're saying to yourself in the moment are not what's important. It's the overarching theme and the set of beliefs that come with that. Mm, that's really interesting. One thing that I think also happens at this point, as you say, it's called midlife, mm. which brings with it a whole lot of feelings of, wow, half my life is done. How do I feel about that? Am I in the right place? And what comes next? They're big thoughts. They are big thoughts. You know, as an optimist, it would never occur to me to say half my life is done. Like that feels strange to me hearing you say that. And look, I have been accused of being overly optimistic at times, so a little caveat there. Um, but I, I love talking to women at this age about the possibilities that open up because so often when we get to this stage, you know, whether it, you know, is, is early 40s or early 50s, there's this liberation from being so bogged down in what other people think of us. You know, the the, the I, I hear a lot from women that I don't I just don't give a shit what people think of me anymore. You know, and that's kind of the extreme example. But of course, there are shades of gray gray there. But still, if you can find within you that that new focus on look what other people think, whether it's my family, whether it's people I work with, whether it's the social media gaze, they actually don't have any power over me anymore. I am woman. Hear me roar, man. Okay. I did hoover through your book. Mm-hmm. I was looking for insights into how to wear a swimsuit. Summer's coming up. <laughs> how to wear a swimsuit. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. So what you just said about so what is probably yeah. the biggest lesson Yeah. And look, what I would add to that too is I remember reading some really interesting research years ago. I did a lot of work around body image in my early years of my career. And I remember reading about this research where they had women stand in front of the mirror and they used technology to track where her eye went on that mirror, that is which parts of her body she would look at. And what they found is that people who have a a sort of a dysfunctional relationship with their body spend about 80 to 90% of their time just looking at the bits they hate about their body and often obsessing about those bits. So if you think about yourself, and of course, body image is a very dynamic thing. It's not the same every day. But if you imagine yourself on those days where your body image is a bit sus and you look in the mirror, what do you see? You just see the wobbly bits, don't you? Or the ugly bits or the stripes or whatever it is that you don't like. So you can have control over that. You can say, okay, I'm going to stand in front of the mirror and I'm only going to look at the bits that I love. And that might only be one thing. It might be your nose. It might be your nails. It might be your decolletage. Whatever it is, 
practice looking in the mirror and just focusing on that thing and then dress for it. Why don't you dress in a way that accentuates that one thing that you like about your body? Good advice. I'll take that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also a known fact that a lot of women quit their jobs during menopause, partly I think because they're overwhelmed by all of these sensations that feel out of their control. What do you say to them? Hmm. Look, I, I wonder if that's also part of the I don't care what people think phase, you know, so I'm no longer feeling I need to be a slave to the man kind of thinking, um, a, a liberating choice as opposed to running away. I think that's probably in the mix as well. Um, but to your point, yes, that there, there certainly can be a crisis of confidence. And I, I think for women professionally, the brain fog is a real, a very real issue and it has a very direct impact on our confidence. Um, and I've certainly experienced this myself as well. And I hear a lot from women about, you know, I, I used to go into a meeting and I'd know that whatever came up in that meeting, I'd be able to deal with it. I'd be able to draw on my experience, pick a memory from my memory bank that is relevant and, you know, speak with authority. And all of a sudden, my cognitive function is betraying me in those moments. You know, I had one of these recently. I was filming um, in the UK and I was on set. There were like eight cameras on me. There were about 100 people in the room. I was speaking. It wasn't live, but I was speaking and completely forgot my train of thought. So I made a joke of it and said to everyone, okay, it's a perimenopause moment. Can anyone help me? What am I trying to say? And everyone, you know, called out and helped. And I remember coming off set that day and thinking, well, that was okay. At least it wasn't live TV. And then fast forward a few weeks and it happened live. I was not, it wasn't live TV. It was a, an enormous launch party in the UK. And I was calling in via video link from Sydney. And I was on a screen the size of a cinema, my big mug up on this wall, close up on my face. And I started listing off three things. Someone asked me a question about, you know, the three things you'd recommend for a great relationship. And I said one, I said two, and then I went completely blank and it was live. And I died. I could just feel the heat rising. And of course, I'm looking at myself on Zoom so I can see it. I can see my face looking all wrong, all red, (laughs) looking all blank. Thank God my colleague who was sitting there in, in London realised what was going on and she jumped in and, and actually rescued me. But from a you know confidence point of view, I felt shattered for a moment there and really annoyed, really pissed off with my brain. You know, how dare you let me down like that? It's interesting you say that. You know, the more that we see women having these stumbles mm-hmm. and recover gracefully, the more confidence I think we'll all have Coming back to what you were saying earlier about the puberty thing, I know that Tina Arena, uh, in a famous moment at one of her concerts last year, stopped and actually acknowledged just having a hot flush, guys. And kudos to her. Yeah, I love that. More of that. More of that, Tina. Exactly. And more of women helping each other out, you know, more of seeing that someone is struggling a little bit or getting that vague glazed over look where you can tell that she's having a fog and there's no words that she can access. Jumping in to rescue someone, I think, is a really yeah. nice thing to do. Yeah. We'll be right back after this. Okay, we're back. Yeah. 
But so often in that sandwich generation, while we're juggling both generations around us, what are we making time for? Do a little audit across your last month of your diary and what are the things that you are committing to? Is it the gym or is it getting a manicure or, you know, what? what is it? What is the thing that you are doing for yourself? And if there's nothing, where is time being wasted on things that are not adding to you and filling up your cup that you could change it? And if there is something in there like going to the gym, okay, great. I acknowledge that you need that. But what do you need more? What if you swapped out one of those gym sessions each week and made it just a walk by yourself along the beach or a sit down with someone in your menopause mob to just chat about how you're feeling? You know, filling up that emotional cup is so much more important now because it gets depleted a lot easier. It's like there's a hole in it. And I think knowing your strengths is a really powerful thing at this stage too. Um, If you don't know what your strengths are, you can go along to – so Martin Seligman is one of the fathers of positive psychology and he has done loads of research on on the power of knowing your strengths and, and what this can do for your life. And you can go along to the website, I think it's called authentichappiness.org, um, and you can complete a questionnaire for free online about your character strengths. And I really recommend that you do it because there's 24 character strengths that he has, and it basically prioritizes them in order for you. So you can essentially look at your top three strengths and start to think about, oh, am I actually living these strengths right now? Let's say one of your strengths is about altruism and helping people. And you look at your life and you might say, oh, all I'm doing all day is making money for a big conglomerate. And what I'm doing is not making a difference. It's not helping people at all. What if I was to start getting involved with volunteering in something and helping someone and actually playing to that strength? This is where you get what psychologists call that state of flow. So when you're playing to your strengths, that is the things that you're not only good at, but really passionately enjoy as well. You get into this state of flow. And that's that sense of, oh, I've forgotten what time is. I'm so absorbed in this thing. You know, I'm seeing this with my mum now. She's in her 70s. And when she was, it was probably about 10 years ago, she was mid-60s, my sister and I gave her a canvas and some paints. And we said, why don't you just give it a go? She'd never painted a day in her life. And she now does the most incredible portraits. She's just had somebody buy one of her one of her portraits recently and she loves it and she loses track of time when she's doing it. So this is her playing to a strength and she gets so much joy out of that. This is the stuff that feeds your soul. Yeah, fulfilment brings its own confidence, doesn't it? It does. Mm. Let's talk about courage, Mel. Do you know what? I, I believe courage and fear have a really symbiotic relationship. And I really believe that when you can weigh up the things that you're scared of and the things that you really want in life, that's when you can start to mobilize yourself. So let's say, for example, 
this came up for me when I was doing IVF. That's a, that's a relevant example. So I had all of these fears, of course. I'd had a miscarriage and for me the idea of putting all of these strange hormones in my body and the fear of, you know, potentially having another loss and bringing more grief into my family was was very frightening for me. But on the other side of the ledger was what I wanted and that was to be a mum. And when I looked at those two sides of the scales, that thing that I wanted was so much more powerful than the thing I was scared of. And I think this is a really helpful way of looking at it when thinking about courage. Do I have the courage to do this thing, whatever it might be for you? Really focusing on that higher focus, that big picture of what it is that you want, what's driving you, what's, what are you passionate about? That's what can really help you find the motivation to go, yep, the fear's there, but the desire is stronger. So when what you want is bigger than what you fear, courage appears. And I really like this approach because it's not saying fear doesn't matter because that's not true. It's not saying be fearless because that doesn't exist. But it's saying the fear is there, but it's on the, on the list of priorities in your life, it's actually lower than getting what you want. I want that more than I'm afraid of that. Exactly. When you look at the women who have really sailed well through perimenopause and menopause, is there a particular type or formula? Mm. I wish there was a formula because I'd sell it in my millions. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, I would come back to some basic principles around well-being here. Um, because I think, you know, whilst these apply at every as every stage of life, I think they're probably even more relevant right now where mindset and optimism are just so incredibly important. Um, in the book, I talk about the vapor model. So V-A-P-O-R. Um, it's not about having the vapors, <laughs> which is what my nanny used to say. <laughs> oh, I'm getting the vapors. Um, I just love that expression. But no, um, here it's about um, looking at what these these um, letters actually stand for. I'm, I'm happy to talk through them and how you can sort of use these as a bit of a, a checkpoint for yourself in terms of how you're going. Um, so V is vulnerability. And, you know, it can be very tempting as we're stepping into peri and, and menopause to allow our ego to get in the way because we have a lot of pride, particularly when it comes to our capability as a professional or as a parent. You know, we've built up years and years and years of our reputation and all of a sudden we're, we're undermining ourselves and we're, we're losing face, it can feel like. So having the courage to be vulnerable, so whether that is with your menopause mob or with your partner, um, to be able to say, oh, I stuffed up today. Oh, I can't believe it. And this is how I feel. That's so important because, you know, as we know about, you know, any kind of unhelpful thinking is that if we don't talk on it, if we don't let it out, it festers like a pimple. So really, really important to allow yourself to be in vulnerability as you're progressing through. A is assertiveness. So this is what I believe is confidence in action, is assertiveness, is speaking up, asking for your needs to be met. Guess what? Your needs are changing. 
So you need to renegotiate what that means for you. Is it too hot in your office? (laughs) This is a common one. Women in menopause are finding office buildings are kind of set to a temperature that's very comfortable for men, not so comfortable for women. So what do you do about that? Speak up. And if it feels scary, do it with a mate. So, you know, assertiveness, asking for those needs to be met in an unpassionate way. P is positive emotion. So wherever possible, getting your fix of positive emotions into every day, you know, whether it's joy or inspiration, happiness, whatever it is for you, all the research shows that the more positive emotions you can cram into every day, the more, the greater your well-being will be. What are we up to? V-A-P-O is optimism, um, which of course I'm a cheerleader for. <laughs> um, but really so important here because it is very natural to have a lot of very negative, unhelpful thoughts coming up during perimenopause as everything changes. So you need to be able to have the skill set to flip that, that script and focus on a more overriding positive mindset. How do you do that? Well, the first step is recognizing when it's happening, which is hard. I'm not suggesting for a moment that this stuff's easy. You know, you've got 40 or 50 years of programming and and habit forming and patterns. So I'm not suggesting this is easy. The journaling helps because you start to recognize those patterns that are coming up for you. Um, And then once you can start to recognize in the moment, not just after the fact, that's when you can start to go, okay, I'm telling myself right now that as I walk into this meeting, I'm going to make a fool of myself. I'm going to change that. I'm walking into this meeting and I've got just as much of value to say as anyone else around the table. And when it's my turn, I'll have my say, for example. Yeah. And then R is resilience which of course is your bounce back ability. You know, this is so important at this time because things are going to stuff up. (laughs) You know, we've been on this great path in life that's gotten us to to this point, but what we did before is not necessarily going to work for us in this new reality. So you're going to have mistakes. You know, I I like to say that, that failure is just feedback. Treat it as just feedback. It's just information you can take on board, adapt your strategy and try again. Mel, you've given us plenty of good advice today. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you listeners for being with us. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not rate and leave a review? And if you'd like to purchase a copy of Mel's book, we've got a link in the show notes. Meanwhile, for more great information about living your best life, don't forget to pick up a copy of Prevention Magazine. I'm Andrea Duval, and I'll see you next time.